0: Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for listening. You're at staying Alive with Louie J. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you here with me and for taking some time out of your day to listen to uh, my ramblings. They're good ramblings. Speaking of ramblings, uh, you've
1: had an interesting week. You've kind of been the media darling uh, um, in an unfortunate time. Uh, Just for those of you who don't know, obviously, we've had a second shutdown for Toronto and Peel, Mississauga. And it's really affected the small businesses. And uh, I wake up one morning and you're on uh, CTV News being interviewed. And then following that, you're on uh, other news channels being interviewed to kind of be the voice for small business. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. What, what went on that week?
0: Well, the week has been... Uh Highs and lows. We've been in peaks and valleys, and I'll tell you it's uh, been extremely frustrating. It's been satisfying. Um, it's been confusing. and that's where all of this kind of landed me in front of a camera, I guess, yeah, in front of a camera. Um, I don't know how I was chosen as a voice, but I'm glad to be able to use a platform or at least create some voice for small business because like me, thousands of businesses have been impacted so negatively um, to the point where the future is very unclear. And so that's where the stories came from this week, talking about the uncertainty and how the lockdown is going to affect us and what it's done to us. Um, What it's done financially is just one component that I think is important to recognize and realize because it really is what drives the business is what most entrepreneurs got into business for and how small business moves. The financial uh, independence of that business creates opportunities and when that's being stripped away that's one element of how this lockdown has an effect the 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 mindset and the mentality of what it does to people and how it, it 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 divides them and it unhinges them and and now they're coming at their neighbors and they're angry and people are with masks and no masks and i mean that is a huge challenge not to mention there's you know the uncertainty of what the future holds for us so now we can't we can't open our doors we can move to online. We're lucky. We're able to pivot. And only a portion of our, our revenue comes from products. So we immediately take out, let's say 50% for the barbering services. Now we're left with 50% to try to recoup. Um, I said in the interviews this week, we're no longer focused on profitability. That's got nothing to do with the conversation. We're focused on at least trying to recoup some of the investment we made um, by putting products on our shelves. That's huge, man. Like, I mean, and at that, you only have one vehicle to do it in, which is to sell it online. So what happens to the seniors? What happens to the people that don't have credit cards? What happens to the people that are maxed in their credit cards and don't know how to attach their bank accounts to PayPal? And so they're completely knocked out of this equation unless they were to go to a big box store. Um, And they're still allowed to operate in this lockdown. To me, it's the it, it's the it's the decision that needs to be reversed. It needed to be reversed the day after it came out when people said, "Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense." They need to go to an equal playing field, a level playing field um, proposition, which could be connected to uh, limited access. Why not have a model that says that if your environment is a thousand square feet, two thousand square feet, twenty thousand square feet, you can have x amount of people per square foot. And do it safely and do it with regimentation and protocols, like we were. Like we were heavily mandated to begin with and then add to it all the protocols. You probably couldn't have been in a safer place than a barbershop or, or a hair salon. Yeah, um, we
1: had a guest on Michael Bacon when he was talking about live events and stuff, and he pretty much put it simply, it's it's all about numbers. It's about numbers. It's all about numbers. They've have it, they have it solved with numbers, that's a proven fact. I don't understand why they couldn't implement it. But basically, we, we, we had two headlines going on this week. The fact that there was a shutdown, and then you have an individual that's a small business owner defying the rules, getting all this uh, notoriety because he's defying the rules of keeping a restaurant open for dine-in when he could clearly work his takeout. And you have these these two things. So people are, are hit by the lockdown. And then you have this person doing that, creating a divide. And uh, it, it was kind of a, a weird week, very
0: weird week. Yeah, it was, uh, I think the media was, was starving for the story and they kept pushing it. And I thought the more attention we give to the recklessness of that individual, and I say recklessness, like, listen, I'm not in a position to judge anyone. I really do want to use empathy and compassion when I approach any situation. And I don't know what he's going through. So how can I possibly say what's right or wrong for him? However, I will say this, that if you are prepared to put people in harm's length and, and compromise everything that we've all worked towards simply to be able to turn a profit or make a statement, then I do have an opinion. And I, I'm not, I, I don't follow that thinking. I don't, I don't think it's productive I think the divide is even wider now because either you're on board or you're off board. And there's a GoFundMe page right now for that organization that's generated over $260,000. Well,
1: here's the thing. Uh, it, this this is not an opinion. It's just a thought because my opinions really don't... Uh, I, I don't like to share my opinions, to be 100% honest with you, because I feel like I don't have much to say. <laughs> but my thought is, you know... This individual also, here's what's not being spoken about. He also has another barbecue shop in uh, North Toronto, like Leaside area, which has been gangbusters since day one. This uh, this, uh, new spot that he opened in the Mississauga or Etobicoke area, Toronto, um, probably um, doesn't have the foot traffic like the other place does. And I thought maybe this is a possibility for him to get some exposure. I mean, he was the conversation across the country. You know, everybody knows the name of this barbecue shop. Good or bad, it's now in the vernacular of everyone. People are discussing it uh, with family members and everything else, too. So I kind of felt like, hmm, here's a thought. Was it just an opportunity to make a name and make a splash? But at, I, I think there's a price to pay for there's, that, There
0: There's a huge price. I think, yeah, maybe that was the, 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 the idea going in that... You know, I'll talk to my lawyers, find out what the fine's going to be. Let's use this as a PR piece. Um, Where I think it failed and fell apart was when, you know, the criticism of people that were wearing masks and following the rules and be law-abiding was challenged because that's obviously a personal take that he has on it, and that's his opinion. He's entitled to it. Um, Everybody can change their opinion. When you start to learn and figure out how things change in life, you could change your opinion and recognize that what you thought yesterday is not right for tomorrow, and I think he'll wake up at one point. I'm not suggesting he should but at some point he might look at it differently
1: well he was fortunate because he's in a business which is a restaurant business where he could continue to stay open and just do takeout right a lot of these small businesses are shut down people are unhinged you know they're they're some people are becoming addicted to um, alcohol yeah you know like this is dire right now and this is one of the things which kind of leads into our our next guest um why don't you Speak about that. Yeah,
0: so that's where I'm most concerned. Um, just you know, as a as a as a community guy, that my community in some form or fashion is going to fall apart in in the way we approach things. I see people becoming angry in the in the lineups. They're challenging their neighbors with, "Are you wearing your mask properly? Are you not?" Um, their mental well being is already showing its signs of being unravelled, and that's when people start to look devices to that make them feel good, and of course the amount of pressure that we've had on ourselves over our lifetimes, I'm 52, uh, about to be 52, all my life it's been pounded into my mind that, you know, socially I can have drinks and I'm going to be happy and it's fun. And yeah, I get that. I have a fairly healthy relationship with alcohol. But um, when, you're, when you're taking it as a, as a relief and you need to escape and now it becomes part of your routine to the point where you can't function without it, that's when the relationship needs to be questioned. You need to step back and figure a way to get out of there, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. I got a friend that's coming on, J.T. Wahlberg, that um, that's been to hell and back, you know, and just have him recognize where he was unhappy for some reason, drinking endlessly, and then um, decided on good advice from people that loved him, and that's where I think we need to we need to step in. If if you if you see anybody that you think is struggling. You need to have that hard conversation. You need to make sure that they understand there's resources available. Everybody knows that. But I think in the storm, you can be lost and you're going to forget and you're going to continue doing what makes you feel good because why wouldn't you? Everything else makes you feel like crap. That's where you need to really concentrate on. And to that point, JT takes us through a story that he's actually uh, authored a book about. He penned a book. Um, about his struggles and how he forgot to stay sober, and how he almost killed himself through that. So I, you know, I can't wait to have that conversation today.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great conversation. So uh, let's listen to it.
0: So I'm so grateful today uh, because a friend of mine, actually, we started working together just over a year ago. Um, and that's what I love about my life. I get to meet incredible people. And, and now as a, as a chance in this, in this podcast, it's a bit of a platform to be able to have real conversations. And I said last week that what was great about um, bringing guests on is that I'm having ordinary people that are doing extraordinary things. And uh, I'm grateful for what JT's gone through and been through and what's he going to share with us today. So I want to welcome my uh, my good buddy, JT Wahlberg, to the podcast. Welcome, bud.
2: Hi. Thank you, man. I, I'm super stoked to be here. I couldn't be more excited to uh, to spend this time with you.
0: That's great. I think, um, you know, the, the intention was to talk about real-life experiences in this podcast and then to share those experiences because, you know, not only is it a form of, let's say, entertainment, but education, uh, some chances to draw relationships with people that you know and you know, you'd begin to find out stories and you begin to realize that there's, uh, there's many layers to people. And I remember we were hosting an event and, of course, our worlds are around host uh, to host and to be entertained. And, you know, if we're doing a staff event or whatnot, we go out and we celebrate and that always revolves around alcohol, some uh, social drug use. And on occasion and and the likes and and i recall i always pay attention to this because i think i'm sensitive but i recall you not wanting to have a drink and in this environment it was you know the uh, exception to the rule and i quickly picked up on that and i think privately i said um just curious you know is there any reason when it's when it's um a lady you can almost make one assumption that, that she might be pregnant of course, and then you you stay away from that. Um, but then you were kind enough to let me in. You opened up the door, and we had a conversation. and And I thought that it was it was very powerful in how you participated in that event, knowing that you had challenges with addiction, and yet you still came out, and you were equally as fun and engaging as everyone else. You didn't need the substance. And uh, I started paying more attention to it. And then I began to realize you got this incredible personality, you know, that is real and authentic. And you're knowledged. You've got many layers to JT. And so I wanted a chance to be able to get on and just chat, figure out what the world is. We'll talk casually about, you know, the the trials and tribulations and victories and, and success that you've had. So why don't you take us all back to, like, that moment? I think... The best part of this is that you just wrote a book and I've been able to leaf through and see some excerpts from that. And uh, you speak on a level that I think everybody can relate to, whether they have challenges with addiction or not. I think it's just a matter of being driven and being happy and that's a big piece of what this podcast is about. So let's talk about the story, man.
2: Well, that conversation that we had at the Cabin Christmas party. Right. um, It just stems from being open and honest and if I'm asked, you know, why I don't drink, I'll, I'll tell you why I don't drink. Uh, alcohol is the only drug in the world that a person has to justify not taking.
0: <laughs> That's like, amazing. Like Think it, about that.
2: You know, if if Frank was to offer me some heroin to to shoot in my dink, and I said, no, thanks, Frank, he'd just be like, oh, okay, cool. But if I'm offered a beverage and I, and I don't accept I've, I've got to come up with this huge excuse, you know, why you know, are you driving, you know, are you not feeling well, you know, no, I don't drink. And then people start to get conscious about their own consumption. And it's really off putting in, in my early experience. So now, like you said about being real, and, and I was open with you, because you deserve that respect, because I hadn't known you for barely two months, I think, or three months at that time. But you know, we, we made that connection. And I said, well, I'm going to be open and honest with Louis. I said, no, I don't drink. You know, I had a huge problem with it. I nearly died trying to get sober because I'm a dumbass and, <laughs> and did it the most incorrect way that any human being could, could possibly do it. And I told you, and, and you looked me dead in the eye and you, and you just said, okay, you know, if there's anything I can get you, get you water, get you this and that, you know, like I've been in situations, you know, big events and stuff where all of a sudden I've become the, the focus of, everybody's animosity towards like, you, know, you got to have a drink, man. Come on, dude. You know, like why, 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 why? So in some events in the past, I've just gone to the bartender, given them a $50 bill and, you know, I said, hey, can I talk to you down at the end here? And be like, hey, man, I don't drink. It gets kind of awkward. Can you just give me like a, a soda with a lime that looks like a gin and tonic or a vodka tonic or something like that? But in that first experience with you, I was just like, I'm just going to tell Louis straight up, you
0: know. Well, you yeah, know. and I respect that because – It takes a lot of courage, and I think when you come to that point and you recognize that this is actually, this is the right way to approach it. Well, there's no right and wrong, screw that. This is a way to approach it that keeps everybody, um, you know, uh, informed, and it could help, and it did help me. It made me realize that, you know, I started to look at things. I was already looking at things differently, but that made me really put uh, a lot of thought into the fact that every single Monday we come in to, to work at the time, you know, when we, we weren't shut down and locked down, we um, the first thing that comes out of your mouth, and it's it's more often than not, is like, man, did I ever get wasted on the weekend? Or how was your weekend? Oh, my God, we got shit-faced. You know, like, it just wasn't... It, it, when you start to realize, at some point, that conversation needs to change, and it's been like that for 20 years. You start at an early age, 19, 18, 17, younger, in, in most cases, when you're dabbling in the drink. And then and then you now make it part of the routine. It's part of the conversation. It's about, let's hit the liquor store for the weekend or more, if that was the case, when it's taking control. And our conversation just revolves around how drunk we got. And I, I think most of us will admit that we've had those Monday morning, you know, uh, conversations more often than not. And it's completely acceptable. Your point about it's the one drug that you that you you have to you have to defend while you're not doing it. It's incredible to think about it like that. And the fact that it's so socially acceptable and unacceptable not to. And it's kind of like a diet the way I look at it. Like whenever I've, you know, attempted to really put health and consciousness and mindfulness into play, and I've been very um uh been very strict on the food that I was putting in my body the minute you're in a social environment and you're not participating at the same level as everyone else, you do become a topic of conversation. You become a point of interest. We're like, no, no, just this one time, go ahead. You know, and how difficult it is for anyone trying to overcome anything, whether it's an eating addiction, a drinking addiction, you know, a drug addiction, when somebody just constantly says, it's okay, you can just have one, like that's a challenge, man.
2: Yeah. And I I know, you, you nailed it 100%. Like, and I know for me personally, I'm not that guy. I can't just have one. Right, uh, right now I'm six years and six, four months sober. Um, and if I had just one, it would be 1,000 mm-hmm. and I would be dead.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know this about myself now. Uh, I knew that probably 48 hours after I got out of the emergency room. That it, if I had one drink, I would be dead. And I, I've been in those conversations where and some of my, my closest mates are like, hey, hey, bro, just, just have one. Like, one's not going to kill you. And I've, like, I physically grabbed one of my buddies one time. I say, yes, brother. It will kill me. It literally will kill me. I don't have that. I broke that on-off switch. You know, <laughs> one of my best mates is able to do that. He can have literally one glass of wine with a meal. I can't. Right. You know. And if I if I did, I would be dead.
0: You know. So where did you at some point you recognize that, you know, consumption's on the rise, things are getting a little out of control? I mean, was it the industry that you were in? Like what what really started the whole um I'm drinking beyond social? I'm drinking out of control?
2: That's a great question and one to this day that I can honestly say that I I don't know where but I know, looking back, that it was it was a gradual thing. It started, you know, I was a the kid at at your parents' parties that was, you know, mixing drinks and stuff, and and I just saw, like you said, it was we're conditioned to drink alcohol mm-hmm. non-stop. Yeah, like every event, whether it's a funeral, uh, a celebration, anything, you know, drinks with the boys, beers after work. You know, I don't think in, in the corporate industry there's such thing as like a three martini lunch so much anymore. But that used to be a huge thing. I just noticed my consumption constantly, constantly going up. Uh, I, I was in the food service hospitality industry. I was a chef for, for years. And I could hide in that industry very well because you're constantly around the booze. And then just nonstop. And it was became just not on the weekends. It became every day. And then it became more and more and more to the point where I was, uh, did a restaurant project with my, my best mates, uh, one of my mentors in life, my team leader in life. He's my big brother personally. I don't have a big brother, uh, um, but we did this restaurant project and it was a lot of stress. You know, it was a lot of work and I just kept drinking more and more and more and more. And my best mate, uh, who I dedicated the book to, Michael, he had two conversations with me that were like, hey, man. Your, your drinking is starting to impact your performance at work and you know, we can't have that. And then the second conversation was like, this is your brother telling you that you're going to die if you keep drinking the way you're drinking. And I made a decision. I said, oh, okay, well, I'll just quit. Just like that. Yeah. Just like, just like that. Literally like I, I decided on a, a Sunday that I would uh, drink I just get normal Sunday day off, just wake up in the morning, start drinking. And honestly, Louie, I was at that point, you know, my father had been dead for, I think, about eight months. But even before that, I was drinking every morning, like just to t- stop shaking, to get get my head right. To, p- to go perform and be yeah, part just, of just the to day. To do that, to, to be, you know, the host of the party at, at whatever restaurant that I was having to go to that day. And I decided on a Sunday morning that I would just go about my normal day, get absolutely wasted normal, which was probably, you know, uh, 40 ounces of vodka, plus some wine, plus, you know, probably a couple of beers that were in the fridge. Uh, And I would wake up Monday morning and I would not drink. So I had a Sunday, Monday off and I'd be fine. I didn't do any Google search or anything about, you know, how to withdraw from alcohol.
0: This was your plan, just to
2: kill it cold turkey? Yeah, and I was like, I can do this, no problem. Little did I know that alcohol is the only drug that if you withdraw incorrectly from, can and will kill you. Not heroin, not cocaine, not meth, alcohol. Alcohol. If you were at the level of consumption that I was and that a lot of people are, if you withdraw incorrectly, my body was so dependent on that booze going in there mm-hmm. that it started to shut down. Mm-hmm.
0: And I didn't know what was going on. You say that you had, um, you armed yourself with a bunch of chunky soup cans. Yeah. And you're ready to take it on. Like- so that, like the extent of my
2: withdrawal knowledge or get sober knowledge came from the film Train Spotting. Uh, a Danny Boyle film based on a book written by Irvin Welsh. And in it, the, I don't know if you've seen the film, uh, Mark Renton, the the main character rents, he's got to kick heroin. So he goes to uh, his room. He boards up his door before that he gets a bunch of cans of soup. So I was like, well, that's what I'll do. You know, like this is 2014. I had, you know, Google at my fingertips. I could have Googled how to withdraw correctly from alcohol and probably, gone in a different way but i didn't and i didn't want to because i didn't admit that i had a problem with it i was like this is how easy this is get drunk one last time wake up the next day don't drink and then make a decision from there whether i could do this in moderation that wasn't the case
0: so so how did it unfold i mean um knowing that your body's going to reject all this your mind is already set because i think that's the biggest drug that we do have i think that there's been proof that once you put your mind in motion, you know, that you really are unstoppable. And so maybe it it probably was a lot more soul searching and digging deep other than Michael's comment to you. Um, So you came to that, that time where it's like, this is it, I'm over, I'm done. Um, But you still have to perform. You have to function in life. You have got to go to work. You've got to pay the bills and, and add to that the the challenge and the, the difficulty in turning on a, entire dime like what are you what are you up to then so obviously things didn't go well no so
2: I did that I went to that that Sunday I did my normal trip to the to the supermarket to the LCBO there's a a wine shop in my supermarket so I grabbed a couple extra cans of cider and you know I think a box of wine and that was it and then all this chunky soups, of course, uh, other things. I think I grabbed a frozen pizza and I was like, you know, just normal. Uh, I wasn't eating very well back then, obviously. And then woke up Monday and I felt like normal hangover, you know, no big deal. Cure this. You You're know. used to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, don't drink. Uh, what I had done was gone through my entire room. Cause I was stashing booze everywhere. Like, um, Made sure that there was no random, you know, Mickey of this or bottle of this that had a couple ounces of something in it that I, I could fall back on Monday morning and drink. So I did that while I was drinking on Sunday. Monday, normal hangover. Uh, Monday night, started to realize that something, you know, I wasn't feeling better. I was feeling worse. And I was like, well, you know, you haven't been sober for this many hours in a decade or more, we'll say. incredible, um, If not longer literally between you know smoking cannabis and, and other things, I you know was I was sober for 30 days I think in like 2005 when we did a sober October type thing right yeah my best mate Mikey and I did it right and that was the, the only time I could remember doing that and things weren't getting better that Monday. things were getting worse way worse. Um, woke up that night was insane. I, I couldn't stop shaking. I was sweating. Uh, I couldn't hold anything down. It was bad news bears.
0: It's the story of detox. You see it on TV. You see it on the movies. You know it from a distance. But unless you've gone through it, I've not. um, I can only imagine the challenge. I mean, the body really is rejecting your new behavior.
2: 100%. My body was literally aching for booze. It needed alcohol in it to function. It was my body was eating itself. Like I've done all the research since, Mm -hmm. and you've been like, "Hey, you're a dumbass." You know, you we're a phone call away from any, you know, sort of support system. You could have done this a hell of a lot differently, but I, you know, ego, right? I, you know, I'm I'm a big man. I can do this. I don't need anybody's help. You know, big mistake, but I wouldn't change it for the world.
0: Well, and now I mean, the story unfolds the challenges are presented um you've had uh, a tremendous opportunity to overcome those challenges you you penned a book i mean i love the notion of writing and sharing and you know having a podcast podcast for me is my version of a book i guess um i don't often read books Uh, actually i don't read books at all um but i i can't help but want to read yours and a friend of mine just wrote a book about her struggles and i'm 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 very, I'm surprised to see that I'm on like page 130. Uh, I don't think I've ever made it that far into a book. So this is, to me, it's because the content is is real and it's it's from somebody that I know. And you you could be you know that friend in any place, any community, any relationship. Uh, same with uh, my friend Jojo. Um, different world, different situation. But the fact is, is that you're telling your story. So I'm sure your book. What's the name of the book? I forgot to stay sober.
2: How I nearly died kicking my addiction to alcohol.
0: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great um, way to go into that story uh, because how I forgot to stay sober is like, uh, I think, a challenge that a lot of people face right now. But you're going to go through the details of that story and how that, that moved you and the challenges you had. Um, when, when you nearly died, like, what was that? Like, that's got to be something that's kind of keeping you on track.
2: Oh, man, it was a trip, literally. Uh, I I make a joke in the book that if I could bottle up, you know, that withdrawal drug and sell it, I'd be a a billionaire. If it didn't have any addictive properties or side effects or anything like that, like, uh, it it was literally a trip. Like, I was hallucinating on the level. I don't know if you've ever done any hallucinogenics, but I've done them all and combinations thereof. And I've never tripped out like I did when I was going through withdrawal. Like I was seeing things that were so real and like that I still to this day think that I was touching there in these different places. It was insane. And it was just, my brain was literally eating itself and just dumping whatever it could into my system to, to try to keep me alive. Like it was like, you know, like Star Trek, if anybody out there is still familiar with Star Trek, you know, when they have to shut down all like non-essential systems, that's what my body was doing. And then, right you know right
0: i i see this uh, scene right now like shutting down
2: i i woke up like the tuesday i called in sick to work things just got worse from there uh i called in sick again wednesday to work which is like i never called in sick for anything you know like i had the biggest hangovers whatever didn't matter you know hungover or still drunk you know just have another drink and you know, do whatever and get your shit together and, and get the job done. You know, that's the way my, my father taught me. That's the way mentors in my life coming up and said, you know, whatever it takes. And called in sick. Then you know, red flags started to get raised with my, my best mate and my, my mentor and, and the staff and stuff. They're like, where's JT? But then a friend's wife reached out to me Wednesday afternoon, a workmate's wife, and she had been in a 12, the 12-step 12 program, your Alcoholics Anonymous, and said, you know, describe to me how you're feeling. And I said, Lisa, I don't even know if this conversation is real right now. I said, I'm, finding, I'm waking up on the floor randomly all over the, the house. I can't stop shaking. I'm pretty sure I'd given myself a couple of concussions. They, they never did a CT scan or anything on me because I was whacking my head on the floor so hard. And she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. You could die. And I was like, well, fuck. (laughs) At that point, I wasn't honestly sure, Louis, if I wanted to live or die. If I died, I was just like, let's get this over with. If I made the decision to live, I was like, well, let's live. So I called a taxi and I took myself to, to the emergency room. I walked in. I looked at the triage nurse, if you're familiar. I'm sure most folks are familiar. You've Mm -hmm. got three kids. I'm sure you've got got some stitches and stuff. Many times. And uh, I looked at the triage nurse, and she was like, hi, how can I help you? And she hadn't yet looked up. And when she looked at me, her eyes bugged out, and she was like, what's wrong with you? Have a seat. And I said, I don't think I can sit, because I probably won't be able to get back up. I said, hi, my name's John. I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in, in, I think at that point it was, you know, 70 some odd hours. And I don't know what to do. I don't feel well. And next thing I know, I was in a wheelchair getting wheeled into the ER and right out of the movies, IVs, you know, that sort of stuff, scanners going on, you know, everybody telling me that it was okay. And I would, you know, I kind of think I faded out at that point. I don't really know for sure. And my mom and my sister were there. Lisa was there, the woman that, uh, you know, my my friend who told me that if I didn't go to the hospital, I could die. And from that, it was
0: pretty insane. So, I mean, I'm just thinking of all of that coming down and how hard that is. And I, I think... There's people out there that I've heard it before, and I'm sure that even some people listening to this right now saying, well, that's too bad for you, man. You chose that path. And, um, you know, you're going to have to pay the price. And you ultimately pay a huge price in trying to change your behavior uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. But I think less and less is actually in your control. When we're conditioning our kids and we're conditioning our, our, our mates, our friends, our that this is how we operate, and it, 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 like I said earlier, revolves around booze, then really it's not hard to realize that people have no control because it's expected. You just have to perform at a level that everybody else is performing and we're all drinking, so you're socially not acceptable, uh, or accepted, sorry, uh, unless you are. And so that puts a huge amount of pressure on you. And, and everybody, everybody, to be honest, like even my even my kids, 21, 18, and... and 14, I think we've created a healthy, well, there's no healthy relationship to booze as I'm listening to you. There's just none. Um, But there's a healthy approach to it. I think we've created um, a way to be able to safeguard them from moving too far too fast. However, yours didn't come overnight. It didn't come at 14. It came after much and many years of exposure. So, you know, I realized that this is really not in your control. At some point, you've been pushed so far that, you are, you are given up. You, you have given up because that's what's expected. Not that they want you to give up, but you, you, it's really impossible to get out of that space.
2: It was the hardest thing hands down that I ever have done. It, no doubt. Like you mentioned, and I, I spoke a moment ago about the, the conditioning. It's so normalized in our lives that you can't get away from it. Quite literally, you cannot get away from it. There is, like I said, no no space where you can enter where you won't be offered a drink. You know, aside from going to your your, your job. And my job was, you know, hospitality. I was the host of the party all the time and expected to drink.
0: Do you think that industry uh, cultivates or fosters um, alcoholic uh, outcomes?
2: For sure. Mm-hmm. Every time there is a reward in that in that industry, it's uh, or a, a contest is had whether you're a server, bartender for sales, it's you know, well, uh, win this, sell X, get a bottle of wine. Everybody gets together afterwards and, and has a drink. And I knew one person who was a Muslim and that and didn't drink because of their religion in mm-hmm. my entire career, back of house, front of house. Mm-hmm. He was a chef, and he was the only person I knew that that didn't drink in that space.
0: It's it's actually I'm thinking about the other indus- industries that I'm connected to, and it's absolutely every part of every corporate event that I manage and host. There's uh, when in doubt, add food and booze. Everybody's going to be happy. That's kind of the the, the thinking behind planning. It, it's it's not responsible. It's it's not being sensitive. And as I'm opening my eyes to the challenges that people face, I recognize my involvement in those challenges and if I'm helping or if I'm hindering. And so often that award that comes up on stage and they're looking to receive their accolades, it's always, almost always accompanied by a bottle of champagne. Um, When in a lot of occasions we do gifting, we send in bottles of wine um, and I think in the last 3 or 4 years I've been more conscious to say what if we had an option for people to acknowledge whether they drink or not and the religious choices have made it easier for me to say that and make that a point of the conversation around the boardroom table it's been well received so that's good news i mean most people that are in those positions are recognizing that we just can't push this on anybody because we're not being sensitive to their personal tastes and interests and that to me is a good thing. However, even in even in the barber shops, you know, um, we hold whiskey tastings, we hold wine tours, we hold events that revolve around alcohol. And and although I think people should be given the choice to do things responsibly and have it fit into their world, um, I asked one of our one of my favorite guys that come in here, a great customer, he's been here since practically day one. I said, um, "Why are you not?" Showing up at these events, they're like the, the best thing that ever happened. People talk about them for months afterwards, and I'd love you to be that, you know, part of that, um, because it's an appreciation. And he says, I can't come to your events, Louis. And I'm like, why? You know, I felt a little bit, and maybe offended, like, is it not good enough for you sure, or whatever? And then he pointed to the mantle, and on the mantle, it, we had it lined up with every scotch and whiskey you could ever want in your, in your cabinet, because... They were either gifts or they were, you know, all of a sudden worthy of worship and display. We put them on display. Such a cool thing. And I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it, man. Like, he actually made me stop for a minute. And I thought, how much I needed to hear what he had to say to recognize that it wasn't a place for me to put those bottles you know, and as a result, I moved them off the counter, off the uh, mantle. I moved them somewhere else. They seem to make their way back into display here. Like, everybody loves to put a beautiful bottle of scotch. That's true, right? I mean, it, it it looks majestic. There's a romance to it. There's a, there's a you know, there's a want and a desire. And so they keep on making their way out to displays. And But the reality is, is that he hit me with a strong sense of, Um, I just can't be part of that. And then he told me his story, which was incredible, which, you know, which, similar to you, every single day and an amazing amount of alcohol into the system. And then um, how he overcame that and and where his life is now. And that's where I love um, how our conversations have evolved over the year because I recognize that that thinking and that challenge and that, you know, near-death experience for you um, has done something profound. I don't know JT before... Uh, alcohol or before uh, sobriety Mm -hmm. I only know the guy that I know in front of me and I'll tell you man your your approach to life and your understanding of being present and happiness and you know the wherewithal to spread uh, positive vibes it's unmatched I don't know anybody like you and I, I tell you man that's saying a lot because I know a lot of people I know a lot of incredible people that are, that are also in that mindset, but you're constant. You're right down the middle of the road. And so I think your awakening and your change brought on something remarkable about you. So, like, how did that come about? Like, where you just to the point where you're so down to the bottom, you got nothing but to look up? Well,
2: first of all, Louis, thank you for your kind words, man. I, I appreciate it. And uh, a lot of that energy and, and stuff comes from the people I surround myself with, like now. Uh, it's, a, it's just a reflection. It's, I'm just bouncing back, you know, cool high vibes from everybody else. But uh, definitely almost dying <laughs> changed my perspective for sure. I was 38 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, a few years back th- this guy, Marcus Luttrell, he said that from age zero to, to 40, you have opinion. And from 40 to 60, you have perspective. And from 60 on, you have wisdom. So I wasn't yet in that perspective stage. I was in that opinion stage of, you know, I can do all this by myself, no big deal. But when it came to literally looking a nurse in the eyes in the ER and she's telling me to close my eyes, take a rest, you need to rest. And I looked at her and I said, I'm afraid I don't think I'm going to wake up. And she said, look, you're in the right place. We're professionals. We're going to do our level best to make sure that you do. Comforting, no doubt. Still not 100% positive that I would wake up. When I did wake up and I saw, you know, my sister was sitting there and and we're in the same hospital where eight months before my, my father had died and I felt terrible that you know i'd put my sister in in that position again and you know she's looking at her brother she was holding my dad's hand when he died like eight months before and and now she's looking at her brother and i just said look i'm i'm gonna make it out of this and i'm gonna be relentless in my pursuit of of awesomeness and just to like i knew it was in there I, i've been told that since you know that you'd always been a pretty positive guy and stuff and very supportive but I said, I'd be relentless in my pursuit of of being the best version of JT that he, I can be every single day. You know, I, I I think words are spells and super powerful. We've all worked with those people that come in and they're like, you know, how you how's it going, Jimmy? Oh, you know, same shit, different day. This fucking sucks. That sucks. And I'm like, man, you know, and you bring that energy and then you just lower everybody's energy. Like I said, you know, I'm not that guy. I come in. Even if I'm not having the best day, even if, you know, the, the monster is sometimes what I refer to my addiction as, like, even if that monster is like right on top of me, I'll just use my words and, and just change the narrative and just say, you know, I'm having a great day. Today is a great day. I feel good. I look good. I ought to be in Hollywood. <laughs> Things are so good. Even if internally they're shit and i just i try to just give that out push that out everywhere i go and and i think that it's my duty now
0: to 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 give back to be of service right i look at it very much the same way and i think that's why we connect on many levels and i can i can see and appreciate how difficult that is because here i am and everything that i ever post or that i talk about or i'm in in community with friends or family, I'm always, you know, like I say, the eternal optimist. It's like, this is great. You know, I'm, uh, you got to look at it like it's half full. It's actually beyond full. We're out of the box. We're doing great things. And uh, I always say, you know, kindness for the win. And then I've been challenged more recently because like in in the last nine months, I think we've all become unraveled in some regard. And, you know, I'm recognizing that not always am I coming off with kindness first. And I have to stop and I pull back and I correct. And and my mind doesn't stop racing. So I'm on, you know, a different planet when it comes to the speed in which I process things. And not many people uh, are like that. But for those that are, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And I almost have to stop and rewind for a minute and recognize that, oh my God, I got to go back and I got to go back and be kind there because I have to say that I, I'm sorry and I apologize because that was a little too curt. Even when I'm talking to... Tammy or the kids, like, they don't deserve that. And and it's hard for me to step back into that space on the fly. I actually have to have a moment of reflection. And then when I do, I go correct all the mistakes and I come back with kindness because that's where I am and who I want to be. But I find, too, like you say, that when you're challenged by it, you could have the monster, you know, breathing down your back or your neck. And you have to just put out the positivity so that all of a sudden you start to take control of the narrative And, you know, I do that in the morning. I've got a killer routine that, you know, I talk to myself now, which is really interesting. I I didn't ever think that, uh, I always thought people were weird to talk to themselves and I find myself talking to myself more than I ever did. But it allows me uh, to have a a real conversation with me about how I need to be grateful. And I had to be happy about the dogs, even though the dog just took a piss on the carpet and now we got to get rid of the carpet. Like, I mean, uh, life is crazy, you know, and those moments keep on coming in and pounding and, When you do meet that guy that walks in that says, you know, uh, it's okay, you know, then I just feel I have a, I have an obligation to, to go, come on, man, let's bring it up, you know, and people often like to play that part. Um, in a lot of cases, they play a part of a victim. If I tell you I'm doing great, you're not interested in me because, you know, he's great. So he doesn't need any attention. But if I tell you that I'm not doing well, you know, then all of a sudden their interest is to to help me feel better. And now they're paying attention to me. And yeah, and then everything changes. And now all of a sudden, we're concentrating on the negative part of it. Like I just did an interview on the TV this morning, uh, talking about um, the probable outcome for small business. And I got off that interview. And I'm like, I don't like that, you know, because I, I spoke about the potential that this isn't going to work. And we're going to be out and gone. And it weighed heavy on me. It's the first time I got off of an interview or helping somebody realize what condition we're in without that optimistic spin. And so that for me is something I got to think about because I don't want to, to push out the fact that there is doom and gloom unless I've got a solution to doom and gloom, which is like, let's look at it differently. Man, you look at things differently all the time. I think you talked to a customer on the phone once and she said, I just want to thank you because I don't know exactly how the conversation went, if I recall it, it was more along the lines of, I want to thank you. This experience um, has been really, really great. Like your customer service is amazing. I think your response to her was that's because we're awesome. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) That's amazing.
2: And that was a, that was recovering from what ended up being a negative customer experience, client experience. You know, we couldn't provide that, that lady with the service that she was looking for, but in the end our awesomeness showing through and, Shine through. Well, no, Sean through. Sean through, yeah. John and through. John through. There you go. Something like that. And uh, it became a positive experience, and now that lady's out there, you know, in, in the world and in her space, and telling everybody how awesome Cabin is. And
0: That's the conversion, man. I love it. So, what's your routine? Uh, got in it like you're the. I would. It's definitely not forty ounces of booze on a Sunday and uh, maybe a couple of packs of craft dinner. I mean, you're you're plant based. You're a vegan, and and you've got a routine that kind of gets you going. You walk everywhere, man. I mean, wow. My routine uh, similar to
2: yours. I listened to your, I think, second last podcast, maybe now, and uh, about your like twenty 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 and stuff like that. It's very similar to yours. Uh, Up in the morning, you know, between four and five, and it starts with setting the mind with with gratitude and it could be grateful for breathing. Yeah. If, 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 if I feel like the day might not play out as positive and as awesome as I think it might, it might, I'll just roll everything right back to, to literally be grateful that you're breathing. Now count to seven, move, just get going. And it starts with, you know, gratitude. And then I get into some stretching and, and yoga and some specific breathing exercises. Then I'll hit the pewter, do some work. But work for me is writing. It's creative. It's not really work. I'm pretty blessed like that. And then it's a 60-minute workout. It's a big run. And then it's into... I I intermittently fast from uh, for 18 hours. So I eat between... 11 and 5 or like 12 and 6, depending on what, you know, life's got going on and stuff like that. Then I'll, I'll eat my plants and then I've got the rest of my day to, to just do whatever it is that I want. I just, you know, I'll spend time with my wife, obviously, and and all that sort of stuff, which grateful that we get to do a lot more of now. She's a flight attendant with Air Canada, so she's been unfortunately grounded, but... Mm-hmm. You know, you get to spend a little bit more time there and stuff like that. But I just literally, from the minute I wake up, set the intention in my mind that today's going to be a great day. And if things don't go well, good. Because there's an opportunity to, to learn, to be challenged. And if we're, if we're not challenging ourselves or if there isn't some sort of, you know, exterior force that's challenging us, we can be stagnant and, and then you, your vibes are low and you you're not, not going to grow.
0: Yeah, I think the challenge and the notion, that certainly in business, uh, to fail, fail fast, fail, you know, often gives us a chance to reset, recondition, and then it really is for us. Um, well, I keep on saying this word, course correct. But if you don't have those challenges, you just keep on muddling along, and that could be great. You know, it's not that you have to fail, but when you do, you got to look at it like a positive. And, uh, and those setbacks end up creating, you know, um, chances to break through. And those breakthrough moments are where you can just find like magic, you know. And I'm, it sounds like I'm talking philosophically, but the reality is, is that I can find these little moments in the day when it started off just so negatively. And then the day just kind of compounded by negativity. And then that guy in the line pissed me off and that guy turning the corner pissed me off. And then I found that the moments that I was able to stop and reflect and go, wait a minute, man. To your point, just breathe, you know, like start this over again. Let's come back at it. Let's be real. Even in the conversations, you know, where I've I've screwed up and I've been curt and unkind and, and unfriendly to my kids or to my to my wife or to my, you know, my business uh, relations. <clears throat> it's now much easier for me to go, wait a minute, man. I was offside there and let's just talk about that. I've often woken Tammy up late at night, you know, after I've gone and rewound the day and said, that was stupid. And she said, I know, you know, and the, the, the brilliance of, of, you know, of somebody that can let you. And I always say, Tammy's way smarter than I am. She does all the meaningful heavy lifting in our relationship. I just get all the, the, the glory, the fame from it, I guess. But if it wasn't for the way she approaches things in life and how she actually calms and grounds me, we would be a disaster. I would be flying all over the place. Renovations wouldn't be done. The house would be upside down. It always is anyway, but it would be way worse than it is. And it was it's her her ability to, in the moment, not just punch back. Um, not that she's taking a back seat. She just knows that there is the right time and right place for her and I to have the real conversation about, that was not cool, man. And, um, not that it's terrible. We don't get in big fights, but at all, we don't get in fights at all. Slight disagreements. People would actually compare it to regular day conversations for their relationships. For us, it's, it's all relative, right? Even uh, the sense that I'm, I'm frustrated with you means that we got to take care of it, man. Let's go talk about it. And we do, um, I like your idea of getting back to the idea uh, that breathing is so important when you can take it back to the to the very basics. And you and I had a conversation around breathing and how important it is. And I, like I, I since then, I find myself, and this is where I think the podcast helps people because you're going to get a little bit of information and insight about something you may not know. And I didn't recognize how valuable breathing was. And I find myself taking big, deep breaths now and just kind of, like letting it all out. And when I let it out, I'm like letting it out, man. Mm -hmm. And that's a wicked feeling. So tell me your experience with breathing and technique and all that fun stuff. Breathing
2: came from literally not getting enough oxygen (laughs) that when I was in the hospital and stuff like that, like all the events leading up to that. And then I had to figure out why I wasn't breathing. It was because I was so tense. Yeah. I was so hunched over in life yeah. and I, I was only breathing from, you know, the, the upper third of my lungs and and, and fast and I, I and it was low vibrational breathing. It was literally just to survive. So, you know, coming out of the hospital, I I was like I got to figure out how to do this. You know, beautiful that we were living in the time that we do or at the time that YouTube, all that stuff. And then I found a, a guy named Mark Devine. He's a retired Navy SEAL. And he has written a several books at this point. Way of the SEAL, SEAL Fit. And in one of those books, he talks about box breathing. So, you know, breathing from your belly out, like breathing in all the way, like we tend to suck in our, our, our tummies when we're breathing. Well, we should be pushing our tummy out. We should be filling up everything and pushing out and then the box breathing came from just drawing a box in your mind and breathing in one to hold one to release one to hold one to and it's a technique that uh, those guys use when they're in some really extreme situations where they have to to maintain focus uh, because they got literally millisecond life or death decisions to be making i thought well I don't have a life or death decision to make, but I can use this tool. You know, put that in my uh, my arsenal of awesomeness, and and use that whenever I need to. And and it really it it has helped to the point where it's become second nature. Now it's just like it's just like breathing normally for now. I I don't like I sub and unconsciously just switch into that. Even a, a situation, you know, as a team guy here at Cabin you know, on the phone and someone's, you know, just asking a million questions and, and I'm not able to communicate with them effectively. I'll just, you know, start pushing it out, breathe. And then, uh, you know, we've got a client here who's looking to cash out and you just roll like calm it down, roll it back, breathe. You know, this, this isn't a life or death decision, but that's, that's where I learned that from.
0: It's amazing because I, I tried the box technique and here's, here's my result. And this is where I think you just got to keep going back to it because I would get into like maybe the routine of maybe three or four complete boxes, you know, and then uh, <laughs> and then my little voices start talking, and they won't let me continue. And I realize, oh, that felt good for a second, but then I'm starting to convince myself that I got to concentrate on something else. And then you're rolling so fast that you realize that that the, the technique that you were trying to master, you're completely dismissed it, and you're now you're thinking about other stuff. I mean, really, you do have to be conscious. But I can't wait for the time where that that second nature just takes over and it becomes unconscious. Uh, and the fact that you don't breathe well becomes conscious. Like, you know, I'm maybe I'm doing low vibe breathing, man. Um, so I think that that's hugely helpful. We had a uh, yoga yogi on, uh, Joanne Heaney, uh, that described, or took me through this five minute breathing technique, which was awesome. I felt like you'd want to go to sleep all the time to that. But in fact, Some of the breathing pieces and the meditation are really meant to help you focus and move forward and grow and get up uh, and not pull it down. So there's many different ways uh, I'm looking forward to exploring, you know, uh, on how I can become more mindful and thoughtful and put it in my tool bag of awesomeness, as you say, because I think that's a great way to look at it. What tool do you need to pull out for this challenge?
2: For sure. And in in the past, it used to be booze for me. All the time. It was like, oh, the situation's getting a little stressful. You know, I was in one of our restaurants and I just go pour myself a drink. And, you know, nothing lowers your vibration or gets you more tense than alcohol. Like, there in all of the research that I've done since, like, there is literally not one positive property that alcohol can do for the human body. It's literal poison. And, you know, I know I spoke about changing the narrative, and that's what really helped. Uh, like, I don't work a 12-step program. I never did. I just changed the narrative, and I, and I got some knowledge, and I put that knowledge in, you know, my arsenal of awesomeness. And I rely on that heavily And because I needed to replace the booze with something, so it became breathing, you know. And I didn't want to cross a dict, which is a huge thing for people to do. They'll become, you know, I've met some folks that are, you know, cross-addicted to masturbation, cross-addicted to to sex, like the physical act of of sex, or cross-addicted to coffee, Red Bull. You know, I did that too, you know, and had to just literally stop caffeine and and Red Bull and all that sort of stuff. But when I... So I needed... The breathing replaced that automatic go-to for a drink for me. And like I said, there... I read a book, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here about the breathing, but it led me to a book by Annie Grace called This Naked Mind, and my publishing agent was the one who turned me on to it. I'd already written I Forgot to Stay Sober, and it was the first time I'd ever written a book where I felt a connection to someone else and their experience and how closely it related to my own. And she, she did all the research, all the heavy lifting when it comes to like why is alcohol bad? The the alcohol industry and you know how insidious the marketing is and how we're conditioned to to just consume alcohol to nonstop. Go for it. And I never, you know, we talk about vibration and stuff and, and low vibes and high vibes and alcohol. Literally, you consume it, and your 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 vibration is lowered. We are vibrational
0: beings. It's funny too because it's the first thing that you're offered when somebody's trying to calm you. Like if I'm taking stage, I'm doing a presentation, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, whatever it is where it's like, you're in a moment of like, you know, uh, fluster or crazy and you need to just chill out for a minute. Really the answer is to breathe, but people will automatically say, let me go grab you a drink. You need a shot. Why don't mm-hmm. you take a shot at tequila, man? You're going to feel better. And, uh, so you talk about, uh, you know, the, the marketing or the messaging that we face on an ongoing basis, upwards of 5,000 messages come out of human being a day more in some cases. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it really is. It's remarkable uh, that we are being just, you know, bombarded with messaging from an advertising standpoint. Those are advertising messages, 5,000 plus in some cases, and I read a while ago that um, in and around 1,500 to 2,000 of them are booze, uh, alcohol, tobacco related, um, uh, and even now, of course, because you know in Canada we've uh, legalized cannabis, um, there's another message there. And of course, you know everybody's done their job. I think from um, a government level to to private label or at least uh, white label, the, the products. So they're no longer as romantic. They're not allowed to be on TV. You're going to find them other ways. But the reality is if there's still 1500 to 2000 messages filtering in with all the restrictions, then you just look at that pressure, man. Like, like to that sense of, I got to be normal. That's normal. The office Christmas party is going to have me do this. And let's face it, we're going through like times that of course we've never been before. And, Mental health and our condition is going to be an, a topic that we're are not going to be able to get away from. It's it's going to present some very, very challenging times for people um, to move further into addiction, to move away from consciousness, and to rely on the the, the the punch or the drug or the boost that we get from these substances. So, I mean, I think the cross, the cross addiction could be health and well-being and mindfulness like to be able to shift into that you went and you're a plant-based guy man you only eat plants i love when you say go eat my plants yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go eat my plants plants should, love should we, water plants love water yeah and we need water we need plants like we should we be not eating meat and processed foods like i mean that's a big topic man i'm i'm i said i would never wave the flag because it's independent decisions people need to make about how they operate but I feel like maybe it's now time for me to start waving a flag and saying, we need to get off of meat, man. Uh, I've done it now successfully for well over three years. Well, not well over, I guess coming up on four. Um, I think everybody's got to try at least because the, 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 the humanity part of it in, in itself, that now is part of my conversation because now I'm becoming very clear on that. Um, and how it's unnecessary. Um, and how for a number of years we've been lied to, but like you know, what are how is it that we can make that move and transition so that it becomes easier? Because it's got to be easy, otherwise they're not going to do it. I mean, I didn't find it that difficult. I did what you did to alcohol. I did to meat. Um, I didn't get shakes. I didn't get the sweats. I didn't get. A, I didn't have to go to the hospital. But my body told me, hey man, you're doing something. Something's different here, and it started to re- recover favorably. And then I got into the whole mindset of like well, if it's not meat then it it should be healthy, but not always are those choices healthy and you does just, just because you don't eat meat doesn't mean you're being healthy. So like you're a plant-based guy. What why should we be eating plants only, man?
2: Because it makes you feel awesome. Bottom line, it's uh, <laughs> no, um <laughs> my plant-based transition started about two years after I got sober I knew that I could feel better somehow some way I you know I had had a drink uh, I don't do drugs or anything like that I don't take Advil aspirin anything like that and I just knew that there was something that I could do differently to make myself feel even better than I did just being sober Uh, a really good friend of mine she is vegan vegan for the animals uh she convinced me to just start eliminating things from my diet, mm-hmm. and I think that that is a great way for anybody to start on on the whole plant based mission or your your relationship to alcohol mission. Mm-hmm. Just start doing less and replace you know alcohol with water, or replace alcohol with tea, replace meat with you know lentils. And that's what I started doing with plants. I started just eliminating stuff and then going back to it. So I would take cheese and processed meat out of my diet for a week. And then I would put it back in, felt terrible. So eliminated that. Um, This whole process maybe took me three months, four months. Uh, My best mate, uh, Mikey, got married in February. And we went down as a destination wedding, Dominican Uh, that was a challenge for me, you know, all inclusive booze everywhere and that sort of stuff, but it was my best mate and he was getting married. So I, there was no way I wasn't going, Sure, you know, I just drew on every ounce of of strength and, and myself and every part of the universe that I could to, to get through that. But I ate meat and dairy and stuff when I was down there, felt terrible, flew back, I think on a Saturday night. And just like booze, I woke up Sunday morning and said, I'm never eating meat again. That was it? That was it. So just, just like yourself, I just said, I'm done with this. And I haven't felt better. And then I, after that, you know, it's been almost about the same time. I think February will be four years plant-based for me. And sober, like I said, six and a bit. So four years of, of being a plant-based human being. Uh I don't use the term vegan myself because I, you know, I still wear leather and that mm, sort of stuff. Like nobody can be perfect. Right. Um, you know, but and I just prefer whole, whole food, plant-based, based human. Uh, you say vegan to people and they kind of, their eyes get crossed a bit and they're like, Oh, does that mean you don't eat cheese? And then you got to get into, but I say whole food, plant-based human being, you know, most folks will take a beat and, think about that and be like oh so you, you know you don't eat any animal products no i don't why it doesn't make me
0: feel good that's it's it's that simple i, I mean that's 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 a perfect way to describe to anyone um i never felt better than when i eliminated meat and um <laughs> the best part was is when you start to realize that you don't even want to have a substitute for it Uh, it really doesn't interest me anymore it did at the beginning where all of a sudden I was trying to make the food taste like food that I was familiar with because let's face it I had almost 50 years of a different way of living and here I am you know making a massive shock to my system and you want to do what you're familiar with so all of a sudden the food that you're preparing could have this in it so it, it looks and feels like meat you have no beyond burgers are coming out I mean. I think that there's a major uh, movement around the world right now for plant-based to see its increase and its rise, and I think that's amazing. The Canadian government took dairy or took milk out of its healthy eating guide. That was a massive um, blow to dairy, and I, I certainly don't want – there's people that, are, that whose lives depend on that industry. At some point, you got to make a conscious decision to recognize, do I need to be part of that? um although my family's dairy farmers for the last 200 years say that i should um some people are making the transition some farmers are are are, are stepping up and saying it's not for me it's not for my family it's not for the future families i listened to rich roll um oh, podcast brilliant oh my gosh man you know and, and this podcast world for me is like i might have said before relatively new like yesterday new um but the amount that I'm learning uh, as a result of it, Rich Roll had a doctor on talking about you know G, uh, GMOs and, and how we're killing our soil and how we've only got 100 years of populating the earth left. And it's just like mind-blowing. Yeah. Every time we, you and I get a chance to talk about things, I there's another little piece of the brain that opens up and says, go look at that, go check it out. The breathing was one of it. Kicking alcohol was one of it. How you almost died. I mean, your book's uh, coming out um and that's very cool because i think it's going to be a great inspiration. What do you why do you want somebody to read the book?
2: To redefine or just take a look at their relationship with alcohol and to know that if you withdraw from it incorrectly you could put yourself in a situation like i did. Like i i lost a friend in may because he couldn't change his relationship with alcohol. Mhm. He died because of booze.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. I'm sorry, bud.
2: Oh, uh, thank you. And and it's uh you know, it's 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 well it's he died because I told him that I couldn't help him. He died because I told him that I wasn't strong enough to help him with his alcohol addiction. And uh And we, you know we went to his funeral and it was tough but you know I'm gonna have to to make up for that somehow you know I'll see him on some different level and I'll explain to him you know more fully and more in depth that uh, you know I, I couldn't do it I was I was too weak you know I, I wasn't strong enough to help you I, I my last conversation with him was you know you can't call me when you're already drunk you got to call me before you make that decision because I'm not strong enough to to help you when you're you've already made that choice and uh and that you know that that was super tough so my my message w- is just there's a different way mm-hmm. and you know you got to be of service you got to give back you know you got to tell your story in such a way that you know with this book if it helps one person then I'm happy I couldn't be happier if just one person redefined their relationship with alcohol and whether they were in a bad way so deep down that hole, like I was, where it was all day, every day. And, and, you know, there was a possibility that they could die from withdrawing incorrectly, you know, hey, reach out. Like there's, you know, Center for Addiction and Mental Health where uh, I'm donating a, a percentage of my, my royalties to, to CAMH to give back, to, to help someone out there who's, you know, maybe not in a, in a financial situation, where they can go seek help like my my friend mike he uh different mike Mm -hmm. obviously but um he went to like rehab three times and and couldn't couldn't find his way but you can find a way and just do it you gotta reach out and get help like i'm a dumbass (laughs) like i am not very smart i i just try to surround myself with, with people that are brighter than i am and you know read books and and get in situations where I can learn, but for, for the love of God or whatever you believe in, don't do it by yourself. (laughs) It's, it's, it's lonely. It's scary as shit. And it's terrible. You can't, you can do it and, you know, reach out to a loved one, whomever, if you think that you can't talk to him, call me, you know, reach out to me. JT, Uh, how
0: are they going to get in touch with you, bud?
2: uh, Where can they find the book? The book is at JTWalberg.com. It'll be out sooner than later. You can jump on the email list there. I'm at JTWalberg. Instagram is where I'm most active. Uh, I'm not too social media savvy. I do the post to to Facebook kind of thing. You can hit me up there as well. But, you you know, I, I know that, you know, my friend died and I wasn't strong enough to help him. I'm in a better spot now. I can help help somebody out there. You know, even if I don't know you, man, just reach out to me and I I'll, I'll reach out to someone else, a, a professional like that can that can get you the help that that you need.
0: I think there's a lot of people out there that are going are, are struggling now. Um, I'll tell you that you've helped me and I I don't I have a what I would say is a fairly healthy relationship with alcohol, but I think that I can learn and and grow. And there's going to be people that are going to come out of this challenge that we're facing that just it's going to be such a struggle that the resources, I think, need to come on every level. It needs to be your neighbor. It needs to be your friend down the street, the, the official organization. So like I'm grateful for your insights and for you uh, writing the book and and living your life and telling your story, because that's, that's a place of vulnerability, and that's where, again, we create trust. And I trust you, bud. I really do. Um, I always like to end off the podcast. Uh, today's been a great conversation. It's been, again, real. And uh, you're an ordinary guy with an extraordinary story. But um, I always like to let people kind of have some insights into things that you just can't live without. And so you've probably got some tools, some tactics, some something that you'd love to share. And I want to I let you finish off the podcast with that.
2: Well, we talked about breathing. And it was you that that told me about that Calm app. Yes, I got into that. Uh, That was very cool. But uh, one like piece of tech that, or app or whatever that you can you can reach out to. uh, There's a an app called Blinkist. I'm a huge reader. I know you're you're a podcast guy. You're Mm -hmm. an audiobook guy. And uh, but Blinkist is uh, they give you 15 minute reads about all kinds of books and you can punch in anything that uh, any topic that you're you're looking to investigate further they give you the opportunity to make that decision you know you don't have to go buy the book for nine ninety nine. it's it's a paid app it you can find probably a coupon for it out there I think it's about $89 a year and I love it because I read three books four books a week you know cover to cover but with Blinkist I can you know, get these quick little snapshots of books that I might not necessarily read, but they give me insight into, you know, something that I thought was cool. There was just one the other day just on meditation. They emailed me, you know, here's your blink for the day kind of thing. So
0: try Blinkist. I love that. That's a great one. I think a lot of people could use uh, little snapshots to see where they're going with it. Uh, JT, great having you on the show today, bud. I am thrilled and I hope that we help inspire people to take that leap uh or at least look for resources to help that along the way and uh look forward to catching up soon and seeing how life is treating you because your tool of awesomeness is really working so thanks for being part of it guys thanks for listening today for everybody that's uh, paid attention i'm super grateful and so do all the stuff that you're supposed to do on podcast like share um subscribe uh all that fun stuff because um Let's just continue the conversation. Thanks for being here, bud.
2: Oh, thank you, Louis. I couldn't be more excited for for this adventure that you've started and to be a small part of it. I'm super
0: stoked. Thanks for having me. Awesome, bud. Thank you.